Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing, and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, there's two topics I want to cover this week and then sort of smush them together because that's where I think it gets really interesting, especially for investors. The first topic is that politicians and policymakers seem to be distancing themselves ever more from the policies that they imposed during the pandemic, especially when it comes to lockdowns, but also when it comes to vaccines. And, and the best example comes from the UK, comes from the Chancellor Rishi Sunak saying that he was not allowed to give a dissenting take on policy during the pandemic, especially when it came to lockdowns. And also that minutes of SAGE meetings were edited in order to take out, to remove dissenting voices. I find this deeply shocking. The media doesn't seem to be rolling with it very much. What's your take? Is it important or not? Tough for the media, because the media back lockdowns, I'm in the sun. COVID idiots. I appeared once in the COVID idiots. I was pictured in London somewhere or whatever it was. Uh, the Daily Mail, lockdown harder, lockdown quicker. They can't suddenly now say it was all a terrible mistake. They were the biggest cheerleaders for this as part of that mob mentality. So it's tough for them. Uh, look, I'm sorry, but, you know, Rishi, this really doesn't actually put butter on my parsnips. Telling us that you were fighting inside the chat. If it was that bad, if you actually thought that the economic cost, the social cost, the psychological cost, the educational cost, and the health cost, if you really knew all this, then you owed it to the country to resign and blow the whistle. And you didn't. So what are you? Spineless? Gutless? Useless? I, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just not buying it at all. I'm just not buying I don't doubt he raised objections in those meetings, but to suddenly come out and try and reposition himself as a hero, no, sorry, doesn't work for me. In America, would you believe it? I mean, the Democrats, who would have people uh, being jabbed once a fortnight um, if they had their way and covered in face masks like Biden used to be. Um, you know, saying that Ron DeSantis was highly irresponsible in Florida for never imposing a lockdown. I was there during that period. Yes, tables were spaced further apart in restaurants. Yes, they insisted on hand washing. Yes, they put to your forehead. I mean, there were lots of precautions put in place, but life pretty much carried on and the Dems condemned it. But now, oh now, now that Dr. Fauci has announced that he's going, and now that the lawsuits are beginning for vaccine damage, oh, now it's all Donald Trump's fault. Donald Trump bullied all of the US authorities into approving the vaccine before it had been fully tested. And so they're trying to lay the, lay the blame firmly and squarely at the Donald's door. The blame game has begun. And as ever with these things, the guilty men slip away free. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they asked the question if, if Trump had won that election and Trump had been imposing these the vaccines and the lockdowns and so on and so forth, whether the roles would just be perfectly reversed right now in terms of the, the, the media and intelligentsia, whether you know the right wing would be pro-lockdown and pro-vaccines. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, look. Trump, it's funny, I was with him, you know, I was with him on the 29th of February, 2020. I was with him backstage, just, just the two of us for 10 minutes chatting about things. <clears throat> Coronavirus was happening, beginning to happen. I thought for all the world, he'd win 40 states. I, 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 honestly, I thought he'd win 40 states, maybe more. The economy was going well, he was riding high. Um, 
Trump backed the vaccine because that was the medical advice he'd been given. But here's the key. He never, ever wanted vaccine mandates. He always believed that ultimately this was a question of personal choice. He chose to have the vaccine himself. He thought it would make Americans less ill. He thought it would make Americans less likely to catch COVID. Well, we know that's not true, but that's the advice he was given. So the idea, you know, I mean, as I say, Trump struck a balance on this, which is pretty much where I was with it all. You know, I took the first two. I didn't take the booster because by then I thought it might just might do me more harm than good. Personal choice. So they can do all they want to nail Trump with this, but they can't nail him with lockdowns because the Republicans kept most of their states pretty open. Uh, and I don't think it's going to work. Just to clarify, the vaccines might make you less likely to catch COVID, but not likely enough. Well, really yeah. yeah, I mean, I keep asking doctors on my TV program, you know, how much less likely does it make me to catch COVID? And no one's yet given me a cogent, coherent answer. So they, they, maybe, I don't know. I, I, give me some stats, give me some figures, convince me to go and get the booster. No one has yet. Let's move on then to the, actually one more point I do want to, I want to mention that's interesting is that there's a lot of uh, videos of, of Democrats being very anti-vaccine mandate when Trump was president and then doing a reversal. But it's also notable that during the, the you know, start of the pandemic in the UK, most of the UK political establishment were also anti-vaccine mandate. Um, so I think it seems like everything changed. And that's what I think makes Rishi Sunak's comments so interesting is that, that the power really did seem to be um, with those, those, not the politicians, but the policymakers. Well, well, yeah, um, yes, yes, sage, um, you know, mad professors. Um, yeah, all of that. Modeling. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. But what was really interesting about all of this is how this ended in the UK. And it ended, oddly, when Omicron came. Omicron comes, Boris addresses the nation on a Sunday night, four times, uses the word emergency, and he had planned to lock down that Christmas. I don't doubt Sunak on that one little bit. And it was because for one of the coronavirus measures, 104 of his own backbenchers rebelled and increasingly spokesmen in the media were saying we cannot lock down again. That's why Boris U-turned. That's why in the end we opened up before most of the other European countries. It's worth noting too in America, you cannot fly to America now unless you've had at least two, two, two jabs. So, so Biden has kept you know, much of that apparatus still in place. Illegal immigrants, meanwhile, are welcome, but let's not go there. Um, you're extremely good at, at anticipating where political change is happening, or at least recognising where there's a divergence between the man on the street and the political establishment. What's going on in the minds of the policymakers and the politicians right now that's causing them to distance themselves? Do they think that there's a, a turning point in mainstream opinion? Are they worried about, you know, they mentioned some lawsuits, are they worried about accountability? Yeah, you know, I, I, was, was yeah. trying to push himself with the, the hustings, but... What's really going on in their minds? I don't think that the predominant thought is people, young men dropping down dead of heart attacks and any link to the vaccine there may be, though I don't think it's that. I'll tell you what it is. It's the increased death figures. And they're very consistent and very steady. We are now running at 1,000 excess deaths a week in this country, pretty steadily. I, mean, I, I waited for a month or two before talking about this to see whether it was an aberration. No, deaths are up, you know, in percentage terms, eight to 10% up. Uh, why? It's obvious, medical neglect. Sheer 
medical little acts. Just a little example. You know, a friend of mine is in charge of the diabetes trusts here in Kent. You know, guy that does it voluntarily, great guy, told me all through the pandemic that diabetes screening had been cancelled, literally cancelled. Now, you know, people develop type one, and if they're not being treated and looked after and on the right diets and all the rest of it, you know, that leads to blindness, amputations, and yes, premature death, uh, plus an unmeasurable level. I mean, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a sort of person that recommends running off to a shrink every three minutes. I generally say, pull yourself together and get on with it. But, you know, there has been an enormous amount of psychological damage done to people as well. Premature aging. I've seen it in my own family. Lockdown prematurely age people. So I think the real fear is that these excess death figures start to embed themselves in people's minds and get worse as the next year, two, three years goes on. That, I think, is the main reason for it. I remember expecting deaths to be unusually low for a few years because of how many people had died during the pandemic early on. But the fact that they're excess deaths now, despite that, is an extraordinary yes. fact. Let's move on to the second topic, though. Yeah. Um, the other key issue right now is the energy crisis. It's taken some time for the energy crisis that was playing out in financial markets to really hit home, to hit people's energy bills, to hit small businesses, to hit large businesses, for people to realize that what's going on in financial markets is, is a, you know, really going to impact them. That's now happening. Some of the stories on social media of small business owners, especially um, the impossible energy bills that make their business completely unviable, the people who are not going to be able to heat their homes, let alone pay the energy bill for the summer. I mean, I'm left speechless by some of this. I know you're never speechless, so I'm, I'm just, I don't know what to say about it. What do you say? Well, it's pretty horrifying, but I don't think one or two financial market commentators are helping much, or, or when I say financial market, I mean in terms of aiming at the retail customer. Um, I, you know, we're in a tough spot, but the great thing in life about being in a tough spot is not to panic, is not to knee jerk, it's to take a very, very cool, hard look at where we are. One of the reasons, and it was interesting, I was in Waitrose the other day, and I was behind two women in the queue, sort of, I don't know, mid late 40s, you know, mums shopping, filling up the trolley. And they, were and they didn't say I was there. And, and they were talking about this. And you know, here we are in sort of middle-class England. And they say, well, if we all don't pay our bills, they'll have to do something. I mean, wow, you know, this sort of sense of almost rebellion about all of it. But the other thing that I got that day and other days when I sort of engage is we're hearing nothing from the government. We're hearing all these apocalyptic warnings that are coming from the governor of the Bank of England. The, every time we see an inflation figure, it's going to be 18%. It could be 22%. Um, the bills could be £7,000 this time next year. And from government, we hear nothing. Nothing. There is no government. The Tories, who've been self-obsessed for this whole year, have dragged out a leadership election for weeks and weeks more than was necessary. Um, no wonder the Queen, no wonder the Queen refuses to go to Buckingham Palace. They can go to Balmoral and see her after what they put the country through. Absolutely. Um, and, and a sense that they don't care. And it's going to be very difficult next Tuesday, the 6th of September, when Liz Truss stands outside the front door of number 10. I just don't know what she says to the British public. 
I suspect her best approach is to apologize. Is to say, I'm sorry, we've abandoned you. We've literally abandoned you. We've left you to fend for your own devices. This government is gonna spring into action soon. And Nick, much as I hate it, you know, when I talk to a publican who's, and remember pubs are old buildings, drafty buildings, heat pumps are never gonna work, just never ever gonna work on buildings like that. Um, you know, I talked to a publican and his bill's gone from 13,000 a year to 35,000 a year. He can't afford it. He can't afford it. And nor can bakers, you know, butchers, candlestick makers. Um, I hate it, but there's going to have to be massive government intervention. I just don't see any other way around it. Uh, but equally, much of this is our own fault. And we have willfully pursued a policy, a policy of not producing our own energy. I mean, I'll just give you an example. A shipment of anthracite coal from Australia landed this week in a small little port called Siduth, up in the northwest of England, just a few miles away from where there is an anthracite mine that wants to be opened but hasn't had approval. And we ask ourselves why we're paying sky-high energy prices. We've got, some people think, over a trillion dollars worth of gas on land in the northwest in the Surrey Hills. We haven't taken a barrel. And one of the reasons that one of the reasons that she will just give out huge amounts to everybody is if the British public worked out that much of this is actually the fault of government, there'd be a political insurgency and a rebellion. So there's going to be a massive handout and uh, both to businesses and to individuals. Uh, the national debt will within two years be three trillion, not two trillion. That's where we're going. And it's uh, even worse in Europe, as far as I can tell. The German government just had a, a summit to discuss these issues and they came back with nothing, as far as I know. So. Yes, they, to be fair to the Germans, they have actually, once fair to the Germans, they have actually built up their gas reserves a bit over the summer. But hey, you know, you ask yourself a question, those of you watching this video, you know, the sanctions that we put on with a great Boris Bravora, we're putting sanctions on, we're banning them from playing tennis in Wimbledon, we're going to take their super yachts. Well, ask yourself, who are the sanctions hurting now? Let's put the, the two issues we've mentioned together. We've got a government facing an energy crisis that's going to require all sorts of extreme measures. And mm. yet they've just been through this, this, this lockdown and vaccine debacle, which I think is being heavily discredited in terms of how they conducted that, how they did the analysis, whether they thought about the policies. I don't see the two coming together too well. Uh, if, if some of that anger gets directed at the government, just when the disbelief and anger over the lockdowns and the vaccines is, is getting extreme, that's a pretty bad combination. Uh, and, and again, it's a global one. So I think the, 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 the fuel for the fire is a lot bigger than just an energy crisis or, or just a, a well, vaccine and lockdown crisis, because the two together is, is quite dangerous. Much yes, socially potentially quite dangerous. I'm not going to go further than that. I don't want to spread fear. I think it's I think it's an irresponsible thing to do. Just as I think the people that say we're all going to die of climate change. But I mean, what are they gluing themselves to roads if you say this sort of thing? So I mean, I I I don't I don't want to be seen to be sort of fermenting rebellion. But you know, big thought on it. Uh, the euro's broken parity with the dollar. Sterling, as I've said before on this on this podcast, is on the slide. And I think the sterling crisis, there is going to be a sterling crisis. I'm absolutely certain of that. And it's all because of energy. America's self-sufficient. We're not. That is a further cost push 
to inflation because we're importing gas and oil priced in dollars. Um, and in terms of the markets, investments, you know, people have got to find hedges because keeping money in cash is hopeless. Hopeless if it's going to devalue at 20% per annum. But I can't think, Nick, of a more difficult time to be an investor than we've got right now. Uh, and I'm pleased that with all the things that we've looked at and done, we haven't gone for any of the high-risk stuff, thank goodness. But, yeah, I mean, I'd be very, very surprised if we didn't get further falls in many of the big stock markets over the course of this autumn as this really, really starts to bite. Sterling week. And gold, well, languishing a bit at the moment, but I still think, and you still think, at some point, it's going to be the place to be. Yeah, we've uh, we've been made to wait there. And you've got a presentation out about how to beat inflation and the investment yes. you have been focusing on at UK Independent Wealth. So there'll be a link below this video uh, for people who want to see how they can try and beat. Now, this is Goldman Sachs now saying 22% inflation. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's not many investments that can beat that on a typical year. So take a look at the presentation by clicking the link below. Nigel, thanks for joining us. And everyone at home, thanks for watching. Thank you.